if going to the grocery store has felt more and more painful over the past 18 months, that's because it has gotten more and more painful over the past 18 months. Going back to February of 2021, we have had an unbroken string of monthly increases at the grocery store. So we are seeing uh, consumers at the grocery level continue to try and find ways to stretch that dollar. We check in, as a lot of uh, listeners are aware, with Glenn Tonser. He's the author of the Meat Demand Monitor from Kansas State University each month. And what he has been tracking is the way consumers are moderating these price hikes in their budgets. He had seen coming up into this past month a, a consistent willingness to pay for the meats, uh, the cuts of meat that are out there. But consumers are beginning to transition. He mentioned in the August survey, beans and rice category willingness to pay was up, an indication that consumers might be willing to take a little bit of a break from some of the higher priced proteins out there on offer, and they're looking to spend that money in some of the other places. Just a quick note. Year-over-year year inflation um, for, for goods not including food and energy was up 6.3% month over month. So that is issue one. Consumers are still grappling with that higher food price at the grocery store and producers. We've got a little piece of good news here if you are looking to do any construction on your operation later on this year. Construction prices, just like food, just like energy, have been on an absolute tear between the coronavirus and the supply chain challenges and, and the global unrest that drove steel prices through the roof. The good news is for the month of August, non-residential construction input prices. So this is the, the cost to build anything that isn't a house, right? A lot of what we put up on our operations, a lot of what gets built commercially, all factored in as non-residential construction. And we saw input prices dip for a second consecutive month in August. So this is good news. This is largely being driven by uh, price declines in steel. And we're also seeing it uh, build on momentum from earlier in July. We're seeing this non-residential input price falling 1.8% from the the price level it was back in june that is good news if you are looking to get out there get some construction done we will be uh, we will be watching these construction prices as the year continues to move forward all of these issues are challenging the world of agriculture and uh, frankly for those of you who need to get things done on your operation it could be a tough slog while the supply chain operations get cleaned up we have been talking quite a little bit about electrification ev vehicles and uh those sales continue to boom. We had an, an update here just about two weeks ago from Victor Earl. He's the co-founder of EV Volumes, a company that tracks the price moves here for electrical vehicles. And he has found that electrical vehicle sales are continuing at roughly the same pace they had been here for, uh, for the past two years. However, in order for this trend of adoption to increase, the battery supply must grow as well. Even though we're seeing all of this federal policy focused towards electrical vehicles, if we're not seeing the battery technology keep pace with it, we're not going to be able to meet that demand. And they're starting to raise some concerns that all of the dollars that have been invested into electrical vehicle mining and battery uh, uh, capabilities might not be quite ready to roll in time to meet these audacious goals set by 
federal policymakers domestically here in the U.S., state policymakers, notably California and some of the other West Coast states, and importantly, global policymakers. All of this has to come together in order to, to see this EV dream that they share come to fruition. In the meantime, we're continuing to produce ethanol here in this country. We're continuing to get it out there. We've got a renewable fuel source right here, folks. That's something to be proud of. We're going to come back here and we're going to talk weather with John Baranek of DTN Weather once he returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend-to-Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend-to-Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. Every day has challenges. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. Success is what matters to me and my family. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Now is the time to define your future at channel.com slash future. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. 
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to AOA here on this Monday. Over the weekend, we saw some weather events roll across the northern Corn Belt, saw a number of college football games, see some pretty extensive lightning and rain delays. John Baranek, meteorologist at DTN Weather, joins us today. John, how much rainfall fell across the northern belt here over the last two or three days? But, uh, you know, parts of Nebraska, Kansas uh, got a little bit. Um, some of the, the heavier thunderstorms there were kind of like a one to two inch, but those are pretty isolated. But it was really southern Iowa into central Illinois that saw the, the, the most out of it. Some more widespread areas of two to four inches of rain uh, for some of these areas. So, um, you know, this is actually an area that had drought uh, for much of the season, really, and uh, really needed the rain. Unfortunately, it's coming for uh, too late for to help out crops and probably get, uh, getting into messing up with some harvest, but you know, getting the rain at least uh, for some of these folks is, is going is to be a beneficial thing going into the fall. Absolutely, John. I think that's the truth. And so that's one case there, that uh, Iowa, Missouri, Illinois, ample moisture. Then today I see it looks like almost the entire state of Wyoming is blanketed with red flag warnings. Are they looking at both heat and high winds today? Uh, heat for sure. Uh, high winds are going to be kind of spotty. You know, it's, it's pretty mountainous out there, so uh, some areas get shielded while some areas don't. So I think they just blanket it just to cover everybody. But um, yeah, that will be an issue um, today and tomorrow with some. Some you know they got a upfront coming in tomorrow, so I think that's going to be a bigger issue tomorrow with the winds. But uh, yeah, heat is definitely in, um, and really we're seeing the heat kind of all just anchored out throughout the, the south central U.S. We've got temperatures nearing. Or exceeding 100 degrees for this late in the season is pretty, pretty, uh, pretty incredible for Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma area. That is pretty incredible, John. That triple-digit heat down there in the southern high plains. How long do you anticipate that to last? Well, fortunately, it won't last that long. We've got today and tomorrow for sure. That front I mentioned that went that is going to go through Wyoming tomorrow is going to kind of ease its way in uh, to the central plains and through the Midwest on Wednesday. And then uh, kind of go into the southern plains on Thursday. So uh, we've got uh, two days for sure. We'll start to lose some of that across Nebraska and Kansas um, on, on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we'll, we'll finally get rid of all that heat. We'll get a lot more seasonable temperatures. And even the eastern Midwest is going to cool down below normal um, for, for a couple of days there. So it's a, nice, uh, it's a nice cold front moving through. Of course, it's fall, so we should expect some of these stronger cold fronts to move through from time to time from now on. Yeah, yes, we should, John. And as that cold front sweeps through, that's going to be a pretty severe difference in temperature. Is that going to fire up any thunderstorms? Uh, we should get some showers out of it. Um, uh, a lot of the, the main energy that would be used to, to focus and organize uh, thunderstorms is going to go through, um, through Canada and through the Great Lakes. Um, so not a whole lot of agricultural land should get impacted, but there are going to be some areas I think the, the biggest one we're looking at is kind of um, uh, around uh, Ohio into New York for 
uh, Wednesday. I think that looks like the best chance of getting some severe weather into our agricultural lands. But uh, for the most part here, it's just more garden variety-ish type uh, showers and thunderstorms. John, farther west, particularly the Pacific Northwest, they've been battling wildfires. I know they've been struggling to get them contained. Any possibility of rainfall moving in there to the uh, the PNW? We do. So we have a, a system kind of offshore. It's been producing some showers into California here, northern California, um, over the weekend and today. That will finally get its act together and move kind of northeast through the Pacific Northwest here on Wednesday and Thursday. So we're looking at some widespread showers there. Now, the unfortunate thing is that it has been pretty dry. So if there's thunderstorms, we can still see some thunderstorms uh, and some lightning spark, um, some wildfires if the rain's not heavy enough. So there's always that kind of double-edged sword with rain moving through. Um, so, but other than that, uh, you know, getting at least some moisture in there is good, especially for those folks out there that are going to plant to plant some winter wheat. That's true, John. How do things look as that winter wheat gets ready to go into the ground across the belt? Um, not, not too bad in the Pacific Northwest. Like I mentioned, we're, we're dry. We have been dry, but, um, you know, if we get some showers here the next few days, that's, that's going to be a good thing. Uh, and so moisture is not too bad. You know, really where we're looking at the big detriment is in the southwestern plains um, from kind of western Kansas down through uh, west Texas. Um, obviously, you know, we've been talking about it all summer, being in the drought and all the heat and everything. It's just been just brutal conditions. Um, we do get some showers in there later this week. That front that I mentioned that comes through should have a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to be very widespread or heavy, so it's not going to be turning things around. And then in kind of soft uh, red uh, winter wheat uh, territory there, not too bad for soil moisture right now. I know a lot of places could still use a little bit of a drink. They've been getting kind of missed by some uh, some uh, fronts recently. That front that comes through should have a few showers, but again, nothing, nothing dramatic. Um, so we could use a little bit more. We may get a little bit more this weekend over there as well. John, the big action over the weekend has been down in the tropics, Gulf of Mexico, the Caribbean Sea. We've got a hurricane. Finally, Hurricane Fiona is out there. What's the, uh, what is your anticipated track for this storm? Yeah, um, it's, it's going over the Dominican Republic right now. It should be moving offshore here uh, later this afternoon, or if it hasn't already, I can't quite, quite see if it's off the coast yet, but it should be soon. Uh, and then it should be either strengthen uh, or maintain strength here for the rest of the day. But tomorrow we're really expecting it to uh, to strengthen up. Um, forecast that it becoming a major hurricane as it goes uh, through the Turks and Caicos here tomorrow and into Wednesday. But then going straight north, and it's going to make a pass near Bermuda, um, probably as a major hurricane. So that, that island there we'll, we'll need to watch out. But fortunately, the front that moves through us here in the Midwest is going to steer that thing offshore and keep it offshore so it doesn't really affect how it's here in the U.S. Maybe the Eastern Canadian Maritimes get in on it uh, this weekend, but for the most part, not impacting the U.S., so that's a good sign. That is indeed those growers down in the southeast dodging a bullet there with this particular storm, John. But is this indicative that maybe Gulf activity might be heating up here for the season? Yeah, we still have several little disturbances scattered throughout uh, the, the Atlantic Basin. They're all moving their way westward, and we're going to have to keep watching them. Um, they don't look very interesting this week outside of Fiona that's moving through. Uh, next week, possibly. Um, both the European and, and American models have something kind of late next week-ish getting towards the Western Caribbean and headed towards the Gulf of Mexico. 
So we'll have to watch out for that one and see how that moves. But uh, nothing until probably late next week. All right, John. Well, here just about 10 days ago, Brazilian farmers had open season on getting those soybeans down in the ground for their first crop. Taking a look across that massive country down there in South America, John, how's the soil moisture? How's the weather looking for that first crop uh, for Brazilians? Yeah, Brazil is actually in a pretty good spot here. Typically, their wet season in central Brazil doesn't start for another week, but it may start up here this week. So we've got uh, a cold front that moved into the southern portions of the country here over the weekend. It's producing some good rainfall. They've already had some pretty good soil moisture down there in the southern reaches of the country. Um, that front's going to kind of linger around all week, and we'll get kind of waves of showers moving through central Brazil as well. So um, usually they have to wait before they get, you know, a good inch or two because they've been dry ever since probably April. Uh, so, uh, you know, the soils are very, very dry. They need a little bit there so that the, that the crop doesn't burn up right after germination. But not only this week uh, getting a good uh, soaking in, next week it looks like we've got another front moving through and producing some more good rain. So Brazil's actually in a, in a pretty good spot right now um, for, for, for early planting and establishment. Argentina is kind of the flip side of that. They have not been seeing the good conditions. Uh, they've been very dry and they've had some rounds of cold, frosty conditions over the, the winter time. Now that they're getting into spring and looking to plant the corn, um, they're finding some dry soils and, and some relatively cool soils as well. So I think a lot of folks there are going to be pushing off their, their planting. Um, they get a little bit of shower activity moving through with these couple of fronts I mentioned for Brazil, but uh, the heavy rain's all in Brazil. It's not in Argentina. Well, John, over in Europe, that harvest on their drought-shrunk crop is going to be getting underway. How does the weather look as they get into the fields? Pretty rough. They had a pretty uh, good system here moving through uh, last week, producing lots of rainfall. You know, they, you know, we talked about the heat. We talked about the drought they had there. Um, you just mentioned it. Uh, you know, so the showers were good to get some soil moisture back, especially if they're planting their winter wheat and getting that established. But as they're harvesting up their summer crops, uh, the rains are probably detrimental. That uh, extends all the way out into the Black Sea regions for Ukraine and Western Russia as well. So um, showers are, are ongoing here this week, and uh, we're looking at more next week as well. So it's kind of rough going for that. Rough going after a rough year. John Baranek, DTN Weather, thanks so much for joining us and sharing your insights. Thanks for having me on, Mike. It's talk to you. And folks, stick around. We'll be talking with Jackie Fatka, policy editor over at Farm Progress, when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. This is the place most people think of when they hear that a seed has been engineered for superior performance and designed with proven genetic traits. Because something like that could only come from a lab, right? But this is where Allegiant Good Seed by morning, CHS Jackie comes Fetka. from. It's Good made morning. by farmers How are you for hi? farmers. Hi. 
Its advanced genetics and unbeatable value are proven here in their fields to make sure they do the job and more. Talk to your CHS retailer about Allegiant Seed today or learn more at AllegiantSeed.com. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. As we look at what's going on in the trade here on this Monday, we see mixed action in grains and livestock with pressure in the wheat markets continuing from the overnight trade down double digits there. While we see soybeans poking their head above unchanged with corn a little bit below the unchanged mark, cattle futures mostly higher with hogs under some light pressure. And we see mixed to light pressure in stocks and energies as well here this morning. Now, USDA reporting a new sale of 136,000 metric tons of soybeans to China for the 22-23 crop year as grains uh, are under heavy pressure, but beans trying to find a little bit of strength. A lot of this is outside macro influences, uh, bearishness ahead of Wednesday's likely next interest rate increase by the Federal Reserve and the advancement of harvest as well. So a little bit of harvest pressure out there in the trade. And really, it's going to come down to uh, when fund managers, they're painting with a broad brush right now, reflective of their fears that high inflation and high interest rates are rapidly taking us into the type of recession that will reduce demand for raw commodities. The market will always eventually do its job of managing supply and demand, but there are times when the cash market does the work while the futures market focuses on other issues. The corn market, a good example of that currently, although there are aspects of that seen in other commodities as well. This may prove to be the norm for a while, depending on how long fund managers remain focused on the recession mantra. Something needs to happen to refocus them on tight supply and demand fundamentals. If we could expect to see a change in the money flow until then, the cash market will do the work with strong basis trying to balance supply and demand. We see wheat markets anywhere from about 25 to 35 cents lower with soybeans just a couple of cents above unchanged. Corn market really four to six lower with live and feeder cattle futures up just moderately up 20 to 50 cents for the most part with lean hogs down about 20 to 60 cents. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. The show continues today. And if you've been watching most of the mainstream media, there are two topics that are really driving a number of headlines here over the past two weeks. The first is immigration. We see this struggle at the border. We see the crisis happening down there. And of course, we're seeing those implications across the country. And then the flip side, we have the employment conversation, a very, very tight employment setup in this country, very, very low unemployment rate. And that has created some struggles for folks who need workers. Jackie Fatka, the policy editor over at Farm Progress, joins us today. There has been a little bit of movement on the Farm Worker Modernization Act. And uh, Jackie, there's some calls to get much more movement on that act. What's happening in D.C. on that bill? Yeah, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act is a bipartisan bill that passed in the House for the second time in March 2021. And so it's it's been approved a couple times there, It's uh, but it's, it's stalled waiting for the Senate to introduce anything. And so there's some hope that Senators Mike Crapo of Idaho, who's a Republican, and Michael Bennett of Colorado, the Democrat, would introduce their their version. Uh, we know that immigration is always a very hard political issue, right? Um, but when it comes to what you, you talked about, labor, uh, the ag sector is really, really struggling with getting the amount of workers they need with the current H-2A program. And so they have continued to try to, to urge action in the Senate, and they're actually putting a lot more, some ag groups and business groups are putting some more money behind that to really try to get this final push across the finish line yet this calendar, this uh, congressional year. And Jackie, on the senator's front, because as you mentioned, this bill has passed the House twice now in two different Congresses. What is the delay on the Senate side? Have, have the uh, senators said anything? You know, the Senate is uh, is an interesting uh, body because you do have to have a, a wider bipartisan ability to get it across the finish line, right? You've got to get 60 votes. But um, it, there's a lot of concerns in the Senate that this gives amnesty to those who are here, um, which you know, those in the House have said that that's not what, what is going on. Um, I think that they're just wanting something to get across in the Senate so they could take it to conference uh, to try to, to come up with a solution to a problem that is continuing to get worse. And when we have food inflation the way it is, we have problems with food supply chain. Um, this is just another issue that if they could get something across the finish line might actually provide some assistance to keeping food prices lower and being able to have the workers that are needed to, to work in a lot of those industry parts of the food industry that, that others don't want to work in, right? That, that's right, Jackie. And as you mentioned, there is a big push behind this. A number of businesses, a number of co-ops are investing money to try and force this issue over to Congress. But the election is right around the corner. Is there the possibility this is something that might see action after November, since immigration can be such a hot button topic? Oh, I mean, lame duck is probably always tricky. I think if you see the Republicans uh, win the election, I think it actually may make it more difficult to get this done in a lame duck. And so I think they're hoping that they would take it up before. And, um, you know, the, the comments, there was a there was a press conference that had some of these key ag business leaders and, you know, National Council of Farmer Cooperative President Chuck Connor, uh, he has been uh, in the trenches on this issue for decades, really. Um, and, and he said it, you know, very simply, if we're going into election cycle and soon in a farm 
farm bill debate. And if you are going to claim that you're a pro, your platform is being pro farmer, but you're not willing to stick your neck out and try to do something to solve this labor crisis, then then you just you can't you can't make that claim. We've got to have people do what he said, stick their stick their neck out and really take a vote on this. Now that that's easy to say. Um, it's a lot harder for some of these uh, senators to to go on record and vote, I think. And so politics are still very much in play in this, which I think makes it a lot more difficult to get across the finish line. I think that is probably an understatement, Jackie Fatka. We'll continue to watch this. Ag labor is such a concern, and it's a concern in the packing industry. Pork packers, no less than anybody else. Jackie, we're seeing the pork industry back in the spotlight as we get closer to that October Supreme Court hearing on Proposition 12 in California. I understand there have been some new documents submitted. Can you bring us up to speed on that case? Yeah, everybody's going to be watching that October 11th date, which is when the oral arguments are set for the Supreme Court from the American Farm Bureau Federation, the National Pork Producer Council's challenge of California's Proposition 12, which is that ballot initiative which requires specific space mandates for their gestating sows. Uh, and so we've got the final uh, last reply brief. So how these court cases work, um, the one side, so MPPC and AFBF, they filed their court documents. And then um, HSUS and California have their right to to respond to those. And then they MPPC and, and, and Farm Bureau get another chance to respond to the, their response, right? So it's kind of a back and forth a couple times. And and we're now done with all of the court document filings ahead of that October 11th date. So we'll have the October 11th date uh, where there will be oral arguments before all the Supreme Court justices. And then those justices will take what they've had in the briefs filed. They'll take what they hear in the oral arguments and then they'll make their decision. And sometimes that decision will take a couple of months, but we're expecting to have a final decision, hopefully from them late, late January, February, maybe early March, but I would expect it probably a little earlier than that. Jackie, will we be getting updates as this case moves forward? I understand this was the, the last reply brief time. Is there any other submissions here before the 11th? No, that's it. So, um, and, and really, once you have the oral arguments, um, you don't hear much either. And so we'll we'll just wait to see what the Supreme Court justices decide. Um, you know, this isn't a, a super timely case from the sense that, you know, like the vaccine mandate, right, where they were making a decision and, and publishing that very quickly. Uh, so that's why it will take several months for the Supreme Courts to publish, publicize what their final decision is on this. All right, we'll continue to be watching, and I guess we'll just wait and see from now on as that case kind of moves into the autopilot zone until October. Jackie, I wanted to bring your focus back to Washington, D.C. You have been covering the Climate Smart uh, Partnerships, Climate Smart Ag Partnerships from the USDA, and these are the grants, $2.8 billion, I believe, awarded already, coming from the Commodity Credit Corporation. And Jackie, you've talked about the CCC before, but it seems like this move is getting some substantial pushback in D.C. Who's opposed to using the uh, Commodity uh, Credit Corporation in this uh, way? Yeah, so uh, on my D.C. Dialogue blog, for those of you who like to find things online, uh, I, I wrote a, a blog last week about uh, the CCC is essentially a, I kind of like it, it's like a slush fund in some ways, right? It, it allows USDA to pay for their farm bill programs, but in this case, they're going to use it for climate smart. Um, and, and House Agriculture Ranking Member Glenn Thompson, GT Thompson from Pennsylvania, is is really 
kind of sounding the alarm on how USDA is using this money that may not necessarily go directly to farmers. And, and also that, you know, a lot of businesses are part of that $2.8 billion that is now being going out the door for review of how the ag industry could create climate smart commodities. And so, and this is also a five year, you know, some of these are several year projects uh, that, that will be funded. And so GT was a little concerned about how USDA is using this and how there's not really any oversight of that because they're just able to pick and choose what they want to fund. And it's a little different than your CRP acres or your farm bill programs and how that CCC fund is usually used. But Jackie, since the funds have already been used, I believe the checks are going out, if not quite yet, very shortly. Is this a discussion that can have any ramifications? I mean, what happens if they decide that, all right, we can't use the CCC this way? So a little fun history on this. Uh, years and years ago, when Blanche Lincoln was up for re-election in Arkansas, uh, then Secretary Vilsack uh, was able to find some disaster money out of the CCC um, and uh, basically got accused of trying to help buy her election by providing a whole bunch of disaster funds to to her. Over the years, CCC sometimes does, uh, the Congress has, through the appropriations process, put some limits on what the secretary could use uh, his authority at USDA to use those CCC funds. So if there's enough concerns, yes, the money is out the door. There's nothing we can do in this 2.8. But if GT feels like this is something that is going to continue to be able to kind of use some money at USDA for pet projects by the administration, we could definitely see Congress come back in through the appropriations process and put a rider in to limit USDA uh, Ag Secretary's authority on what they can do with the CCC. All right, so we'll be watching for maybe some potential guardrails here around the CCC as we go forward. Jackie, looking out to the week ahead, I understand that House Ag Committee does have a hearing tomorrow on the farm bill. Is that right? Yeah, and one of those is this conservation. And again, GT is definitely wanting to have more oversight of the conservation programs because there's so much focus from this administration on using the traditional conservation programs within this climate discussion. And so uh, this is this is going to be a good important hearing on on this overall uh, oversight of how we are trying to take some lessons learned from the the past farm bill and you know that's another criticism from GT. We put a whole bunch of extra money in farm bill conservation programs in the recently passed Inflation Reduction Act, but we haven't really had a lot of oversight of the farm bill. So we just threw some more money at some programs, and so I, I imagine that's going to be a key cute words that are going to be coming from GT tomorrow of of helping that oversight. That how are we doing this? Do we need to change the approach as we look towards the next farm bill? Yeah, it certainly sounds like that is going to be a theme. And folks, that hearing is tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. Jackie Fatka, Policy Editor over at Farm Progress. Thanks so much for joining us today. Have a great day. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. We're going to talk markets with Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils oils that run smart. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. You're going to need me. You're going to need us. All of us. You're going to need our technical skills. Our math. Our engineering skills. You're going to need our help with your water. Your air. Your food. You're going to need our organizational skills. Our problem-solving skills. You're going to need our determination. Our honesty. Our compassion. You're going to need the next generation of leaders to face the challenges the future will bring. And we promise, we'll be there when you need us. Today, 4-H is growing the next generation of leaders. Support us at 4-H.org. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with Vapor Grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. Every day has challenges. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. Success is what matters to me and my family. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Now is the time to define your future at channel.com future. Corn is native to the American continent and was unknown to the rest of humanity until Columbus arrived in the New World in the 15th century. It took less than 100 years after Columbus's discovery for corn to be introduced to farmers in Asia, Africa, Europe, and the Pacific Islands. After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop in the world. The four nations that purchase the most corn from the United States are Mexico and Colombia, who use it as a food ingredient, and Japan and South Korea, who buy it mainly for animal feed. Around one-third of the corn grown in the United States is eaten by livestock, another third is used in the production of ethanol fuel, and the rest is either consumed by humans, exported to other nations, or used industrially. Now that's sweet corn, that's the variety that most Americans grill or boil for cookouts or just eat straight out of a can with a spoon, accounts for just 1% of all corn grown in the United States. These Farm Facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.
This is Ernie Johnson Jr. Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word CURE to 501-501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to coachtocuremd.org. Text the word CURE to 501-501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association. The possibility of lung cancer can be pretty scary, especially if you're one of approximately 8 million current or former smokers at high risk. That's why SaveByTheScan.org wants you to know that now there's a breakthrough low-dose CT scan that can detect lung cancer early, and it only takes 60 seconds. You stop smoking, now start screening. For an easy quiz to see if you're eligible, visit SaveByTheScan.org. It could save your life. SaveByTheScan.org is brought to you by the American Lung Association's Lung Force Initiative and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. The weakness we saw in the overnight wheat market is moderating slightly, but prices are still down fairly substantially. December, Chicago wheat off 33.5 cents. May, Chicago contract down 32.5. That weakness also looks like it may be putting a little pressure on corn. December down 3 cents. We got the May 23 down 3 and 3 quarters. Joining us today with an update on what is driving these markets is Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. And Dwayne, what happened this weekend in the wheat market? I think for the most part, it's actually the weather forecast. A little bit better rains in Australia and better rains in Argentina, which they really needed down there, kind of put a little bit more pressure on our wheat market overnight, like you had mentioned. Also, a little bit better exports being uh, reported out of Ukraine than we anticipated a little bit too. So, and obviously Russia's wheat prices are uh, sharply lower than ours, but their export demand isn't very strong as people are just a little bit nervous what sanctions would be attached to buying Russian wheat. So their export pace is actually behind normal. But I think it's all the rain that pushed the wheat market down, and you're right, that that's helping to pull corn market down a little bit as well. Dwayne, from a technical perspective, as somebody who watches these markets all the time, are you watching a technical level of support here in the Chicago wheat market or when prices move this much, are they just too volatile for, for chart reading to really provide much uh, in, insight? And no, they, they still can definitely be handy to look at the charts. I, I like watching a couple of the moving day averages. And when I look at December Chicago wheat here, we're still just above the 20-day moving average. Actually, we dipped just below it for a while. We're right below it now, but we're above the 50-day moving average. See, I was watching the wrong line there. If we can come back and close above the 20-day today, I'll look at that as, you know, there's an area of very solid support. The harvest lows are still probably in, and we can keep an upward trend going. So, no, they're still definitely worth keeping an eye on here. All right, Dwayne. Well, let's look over to the corn market here. We've got a little bit of weakness. Is this just spillover selling from that uh, wheat sell-off? You know, I, I think it is. No, we are entering a, a little bit of a, a time frame here where markets are 
I wouldn't call them boring because these markets are far from boring, but the, the news might be a little bit sluggish. You know, USDA came out with a lower yield last Monday. That seems like a month ago now. So we know the U.S. supply is tight, but it's never going to, we're not going to run out of corn the next couple of months as we begin to harvest, right? So the corn market's struggling and soybean market too. What do we do here? Are we going to trade the tight supply or are we going to trade the fact that we're harvesting and have some harvest pressure pull us down? So look for maybe a choppy to sideways kind of affair here in the corn market for a little while until we know more about the U.S. size and more about our export demand moving forward. Yeah, that's a great point about both the corn and the bean markets trading this uncertainty. But Dwayne, the bean market is trading the bullish side of that uncertainty mm -hmm. today, 13, 14 cents higher across the board in soybeans. Anything changed there in the market? Yeah. Well, yeah, I think from the overnight when we were trading lower at 8 o'clock, USDA did announce a flash sale. We sold some soybeans to China, you know, a couple cargoes, nothing unbelievable. But just the fact that it's out there, I think, really helped the soybean market. So, yeah, China can talk all about the weak demand, and they're trying to change their feed rations there to have less soybean meal. But to me, it tells me that that means they're low on supplies, and, and I think they're going to have to buy some beans from us. And with La Nina pushing, the La Nina forecast pushing further and further into this winter, that's more of an issue that we, we could have an issue with the Brazil crop. So keep an eye on that. Remember, we're expecting a big monster crop from Brazil. If we threaten that with weather at all, then the global situation gets really tight. So, so that's uh, what pushed the soybean market back up this morning. I think that's a great point, Dwayne. And as you think about that Brazilian crop, we spoke with John Baranek earlier on the program. It is just beginning to go in the ground right now. Is your belief that the trade is using expected numbers out of Brazil at that monster crop level? Are we anticipating trend line bean harvest? I, I think we are. We're expecting a trend line yield and obviously a huge increase in acres down there. So we're getting close to that 150 million metric ton. And we do that with South America. We actually put the bar very high, and then if we have to trim it lower, we trim it lower. And now we've actually had to do that the last several years in a row. And with La Nina, it looks like it's going to just hold on longer and longer. I kind of, I don't know what the crop size will be, but I'm, I'm betting that there's going to be at least a weather scare this winter down in South America. And that could really push our soybean prices quite a bit higher, believe it or not. It certainly could. And I know that's got some folks wondering, Dwayne, if this isn't the fall to put beans in storage and watch that La Nina mm -hmm. spread through South America. What do you think here looking out to 23? Well, it, that is an ultimate and very tough question. I, I do like putting the beans on storage, too, mainly just to get a better basis. I, I think, you know, the basis isn't horrible now, but, of course, at harvest, there'll be plenty of supplies. I think the basis improves quickly this winter because farmers won't really need the cash or don't have to sell. So they're going to be tight holders once we get through harvest. And you'll see crushed plants quickly increase their basis just to get more contracted beans coming in. So I'm fine for storing the beans, if nothing else, just for the better basis. But obviously, as I mentioned before, I'm a little bullish the market as well. Well, and Dwayne, we saw that crush number come down month to month, July into August here just earlier this week. Do you think that crush is going to come back strong once the U.S. harvest is underway? Oh, I think so. I mean, yeah, I, China doesn't like these high prices, and, and nobody feeding does, but we're still going to feed. I, I mean, numbers might be down a little bit, but I think demand is still going to be very strong. Argentina is pushing to get a lot of their stuff sold right now, and that's negative for our market right now, but that just means less soybeans and soybean meal available later on this winter. So, no, I look for our crush demand to come back strong.
Well, Dwayne, we've also been selling a lot of mama cows, which means we're not going to have the beef coming online a little bit later down the line. What's your anticipation here for live cash trade in the cattle market this week? I think this week we can go higher. We kind of started to see some demand Thursday and Friday finally pick up. We've been talking about it forever, like you mentioned, selling a lot of uh, the mama cows, getting the herd liquidated down. So that should mean less supply eventually, and I think we're finally getting there. So I'm going to call for higher cash cattle trade and stronger packer demand this week. When do you think, or do you think, we'll get to 150 cash, Dwayne? Mm, great question. Um, I hope sooner rather than later, <laughs> being a uh, producer <laughs> ourselves. But, I, man, that's so up to the Packers. They know the demand situation more than I do, and I think it's coming soon. It's coming. All right, folks, Dwayne Bussey, Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Thanks for joining us today, Dwayne. And folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll talk with Leah Biondo of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association first thing on tomorrow's AOA. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Choose the proven performance of the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, featuring high-yielding Extend Flex soybeans and the exceptional weed control of Extend to Max herbicide with vapor grip technology. Elite genetics, triple herbicide tolerance, flexibility that delivers results, backed by 25 years of innovation. That's the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Extend to Max is a restricted-use pesticide. Always follow stewardship practices, all pesticide label directions, and check with your state pesticide regulatory agency for specific restrictions in your state. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. Every day has challenges. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. Success is what matters to me and my family. With Channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Now is the time to define your future at channel.com future. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.